0: The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. The text for the sermon today is the Gospel reading, John 14one 14, 14 that's on page 83 of the New Testament. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. These words today from our Lord, many of you remember from funerals. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms and so on. There's good reason we read those words often at funerals because they are words from our Lord of comfort, words of consolation, for Jesus' disciples. So, why do they need these words in the first place? Why are they troubled? If you look just before our passage, you'll find they have plenty of reasons to be troubled. Jesus had just told them one of them would betray him, that Peter would deny him and that he was going away and they could not follow. They had just left everything to follow him now it seemed as if Jesus was telling them it was all going to fall apart. And so he speaks his word of comfort, of consolation. Words for us too. Words for us as we face problems in life which trouble our hearts. Where we struggle to trust in God's presence and God's goodness, Jesus speaks today to bring us consolation to trust in him. And in the rest of the passage then he gives reasons for trusting, promises to which our faith can cling, content to this consolation. And he does it in four simple ways today. He talks about where we're heading, how we're going to get there, who we can know now and what we're to do now. Those are the four points we'll look at today. So first, Jesus speaks about where we are heading. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself so that where I am, you may be also." For many people, uncertainty about the future is a source of great anxiety, isn't it? Take an everyday example like housing, real estate. For people who don't own a home or are struggling to pay off a home, there's often some fear there about the future. Where will we live? Will we have a secure place for our children? or for people whose homes have become unsuitable for their stage in life. Perhaps through injury or illness, you can't stay in your home any longer and the question arises, where will we go? Where's our secure home? These are questions that we struggle with and as we read the New Testament, we don't necessarily find any promises about these things. But Jesus does promise us something greater. He promises us that our eternal future is secure, that there is a secure place in his Father's house. And there's two things that he says about his Father's house here. The first is that it has many dwelling places, many rooms. The old translation, you remember, many mansions. In other words, God our Father is not into compact living. God our Father is not a recluse who enjoys his privacy. God our Father does not only want a select few in his heavenly community. Jesus reassures us there are many dwelling places in his Father's house. That the Father's loving hospitality is expansive, not stingy. And then Jesus says something else about this house. He says that he himself has gone to prepare a place there for us so that he can come back and take us to be with him. Your place in the Father's house does not depend on you but on Jesus and what he does for you. And this picture of him preparing a place reminds me of an elderly couple I once talked to. And they told me their story of when they wanted to get married many years ago but they had nowhere to live. They couldn't afford a home, they couldn't get a loan. And so what did they do? They waited and the husband worked during the week but on the weekend he built a house. He prepared a place and when the time came and the house was built he went to his bride and he took her to the place he had prepared. Because he loved her, he prepared a place. And this is the picture of what our Lord Jesus does for his disciples, for you. This is his first word today of consolation to the troubles of our heart, to tell us where we're going, the security of the Father's house, Next, though, there's the question of how to get there. Thomas asks the question. Thomas, who can always be relied on to call it as he sees it. He says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus says to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Uncertainty about the future can trouble our hearts but so can the actual path we are to travel in life. And so we struggle with other questions too. Am I in the right job? Is our family on the right track? Can I do more with my life? Am I going in the right direction? Every human being struggles with these sorts of questions at some level and beneath them are deeper questions. What is the ultimate way to happiness? What is the way to enlightenment? What is the way to eternal joy? What is the way to God? And every great religious teacher comes along and says, let me show you the way. Or let me show you a way. And while everyone else comes and says, let me show you the way, it's only Jesus who says, I am the way. Christianity is not about a set of principles, it's about a person. When I was reading this again during the week, I thought of my visits to hospitals. Some of you know what it's like to navigate some of the big hospitals. And you go to the desk and you ask to see Bob Smith and they say, yeah, sure, no problem. He's in Ward 8G, room 5, bed 3, straight up the hall, take the fourth lift from the right, turn left, veer right, 50 metres, blue line, you're right there. Thank you very much. (laughs) But then sometimes you go to these hospitals and they have these volunteers at the desk And one of them will say, Bob Smith, 8G, sure, let me take you there. Come with me. And gee, I'm relieved when that happens. Jesus doesn't just show you the way. He is the way. He doesn't just come to teach you some truth. He is the truth. He doesn't just come to model a good life. He is the life and he gives you life. All that we search for and long for is embodied in him. And as you are baptised in him and trust in him, he is taking you to the Father. And that's his second word of consolation today, to troubled hearts, how to get there. Then he speaks another word, doesn't he? Which is to tell his disciples that this Father who wants you to live in his house forever, who is accessed only through Jesus, this Father is not only available to you somewhere off in the distant future, but you can know him now as you know his Son. This is what Jesus says, If you know me, you will know my Father also. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Believe me, I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Now, this is taking it up a notch. This is adding another thick layer of comfort to troubled hearts because first he he says he's the way we can come to the Father but then it's as if he says he's also the way the Father comes to us, that Jesus reveals the Father now. And here's one of the reasons this is so important. You can have the promise of a place in the Father's house forever but you can still ask the question, how do I know what this Father is like? And it is possible even for Christians to trust in Jesus but to have some strange uncertainty about the Father. To know the love of Jesus, but to think that maybe somehow behind it all, God the Father is still angry and disapproving of us. It brings to mind people separated from their birth parents at their birth. And so often you hear these stories or you watch these movies of this search they have to find their parents, to know them. What are these people like? How do they actually feel about me? Sometimes we even have this sort of feeling about God our Father. But Jesus says we don't need to. He says God our Father is not some unknown quantity off in the future. If you want to know the Father, who He is, what He's like, what His disposition is towards you, you look at Jesus. And that's how you know. And when you look at Jesus, what do you see? You see one who is full of grace and truth. You see one who shows compassion to the hurting and most of all you see the one who right after this conversation is going to the cross. It's Jesus' death and resurrection that reveal to you the love of God your Father. Just as it's Jesus' death and resurrection that prepare that place for you, just as it's Jesus dying and rising that open the way for you, as Jesus lays down his life, the loving heart of the Father for you is revealed and you can know that now. That's his third word of consolation to troubled hearts today. And then there's the final one, which is about what we're to do. This is a bit surprising. This is where Jesus says this, Very truly I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do and in fact will do greater works than these because I am going to the Father. Now that's an astonishing promise. Perhaps they thought that Jesus' work was coming to an end. Perhaps that was part of their troubled heart and so Jesus says, no, as he ascends to the Father and as he sends his spirit by implication, this will actually release a greater and more powerful work of God in the world. But what's incredible here is not only that this will happen but that it will happen through his disciples through the church, if you like, that we will do even greater works. How can Jesus possibly say this? There's a lot of things we could say here. You can think, for example, about just how far the church spread and just how much it grew after Jesus' ascension than it did in his actual earthly ministry. Jesus was reasonably local with a small group. The church has spread to the ends of the earth with millions of people. You can think about things like that and how perhaps that's part of his promise. But as this applies to us today, I'd rather focus on not so much what these greater works are but how we do them. Because I think Jesus tells us that very clearly as he talks about prayer. This is what Jesus says straight after. He says the disciples will do greater works and then he says, I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you, in my name, you ask for anything, I will do it. So, in other words, how do we do these greater works? By praying. And notice then that ultimately they're not our works alone, but their God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit's work, in which we are graciously invited to participate as we pray. Now, this is another word of consolation to troubled hearts. Because maybe you sometimes look at people in the church who seem to be so capable, people in the world who seem to be so influential who really seem to have an impact for God. And maybe they do. But hear Jesus' promise in this text that it's as you pray in Jesus' name that you can be sure you are involved in the great work of God in this world. In fact, we could even say that some of the greatest work you will ever be involved in as a Christian is done on your knees, so to speak, is done in the quietness of your rooms, is done as you pray, as you ask in Jesus' name. We heard in that second reading today that we are a royal priesthood. We intercede for others to God as we pray. And he promises he will act. He promises that he will act according to the prayer offered in his name that brings glory to him and his Father. We won't always understand how he acts, when he acts, but he promises he will. So are you troubled in heart? Jesus encourages you to pray. There's his four words of consolation for today the security of the Father's spacious house, Jesus as the way to the Father, the gift of knowing the love of the Father even now and prayer in Jesus' name. So in your particular situation of life this day, hear Jesus' words to you one last time. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me.